This Day in Crime is released every day, Monday through Saturday. For ad-free listening and exclusive bonus content, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus at tenderfootplus.com or on Apple Podcasts. Let's start the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Todd McComas, and today is Thursday, which means one of two things. You only have one day left before you can enjoy a weekend full of running your kids to all the cool, fun things they have going on, or before you get to party your kid-free ass off. Either way, you're here now. So let's get you up on all of today's juicy crime news with Laura Benson. A Valentine's Day heist. Kansas City seeks answers. AI advocates for gun reform. Gangsters caught on video. Prank calling police officers. Monkey heads. And what the heck is BART surfing? All this and more coming up on This Day in Crime. I'm Laura Benson, and today is Thursday, February 15th, 2024. Today, we can all take a deep breath, embrace our sugar crashes, and unbuckle our belts. Valentine's Day is over. Or, if you're like me, today is a great day to buy some deliciously discounted chocolate that just happens to be wrapped in bright pink. I have to admit, Today's show is going to be a little more serious than some of my recent episodes. There have been some big things happening this week that we have to talk about. But I'll kick off with a silly Valentine's Day-related story first. Although this one does break my heart a little bit. A Florida man, where else, spent Valentine's Day in jail after he gifted stolen garden statues to his ex-girlfriend in a Valentine's Day gesture to win her back. Oh, buddy. Anthony Lewis, 33, of Polk County, Florida, was apparently trying to make up with his ex-girlfriend this Valentine's Day and decided to lift two cranes out of a neighbor's front yard. I mean, crane statues like the animals, not the tools. Anyway, the statues had a tremendous sentimental value for the woman they belonged to. They had been given to her from her now-deceased husband before he passed away. So she quickly noticed them missing and reported them to authorities. Detectives tracked down the missing statues at Lewis's ex-girlfriend's house, displayed in the front yard because she didn't know anything was amiss, and when they let her know that they'd been stolen, the woman was mortified and cooperated with the cops to return them to their rightful owner. Lewis, who has 39 previous burglary and theft charges, was arrested. He fits into the usual suspects category. Plus, it was pretty easy to track down his identity. The guy has the saddest mugshot I've ever seen. I really feel for him, I do, but I think he blew it with a girl for good this time. The Kansas City Chiefs victory celebration parade turned to tragedy yesterday as gunshots broke out at the historic Union Station where thousands were gathered to celebrate the Chiefs' second straight Super Bowl win. Three suspects were taken into custody following a mass shooting on Wednesday that left one person dead and 22 people injured, eight of which were children. This morning, Kansas City Police Chief Stacy Graves told reporters that the gunfire outbreak likely erupted from what, quote, appeared to be a dispute between several people that ended in gunfire. The police further clarified that they have not found any link to terrorism or homegrown extremism. Of the eight people who were taken into three hospitals across Kansas City, five were discharged this morning and three remain in critical condition. 
The woman who was fatally shot at the parade yesterday has been identified as Lisa Lopez Galvin, a popular local radio DJ who was attending with her son. There were over 800 police officers at the event to ensure safety. The players of the Kansas City Chiefs have expressed their sadness publicly on social media as well, and the whole community is reeling. This is a developing story and an ongoing investigation, so we'll keep you up to date. Yesterday also marked the sixth anniversary of the Parkland shooting, where 14 students and three staff members were killed at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, in 2018. Manuel and Patricia Oliver, whose son Joaquin was among the victims of the shooting, were on CNN News Central to discuss the anniversary of their son's death and the other 16 victims when the broadcast was interrupted by the breaking news of the Kansas City shooting. Manuel Oliver told anchors on air that he was not at all surprised by the news. Since losing their son, the Olivers have been advocating tirelessly for gun reform. And yesterday, they, along with others, announced a new, powerful, and unsettling tool for advocacy. AI vocal recreation. Yep. March for Our Lives, the gun reform organization born out of the Parkland shooting and Change the Ref, a group started by the Olivers, announced a new initiative in which six messages generated by artificial intelligence meant to resemble different voices of individuals killed by guns in incidents over the past decade will call the offices of members of Congress directly. In Joaquin's robocall message, the shooting victim's recreated AI voice says, quote, I died that day in Parkland. I'm back today because my parents used AI to recreate my voice to call you. Other victims like me will be calling too, again and again to demand action. How many calls will it take for you to care? How many dead voices will you hear before you finally listen? It's admittedly a very controversial tactic, but it's likely to gain attention. Other AI-recreated voices include 10-year-old Uzi Garcia, who died in the 2022 mass shooting at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, 15-year-old Ethan Song, who was killed by an unsecured gun in his friend's home in 2018, J.C. Webster, a 20-year-old killed in his home by a lone gunman, Aquila Da Silva, a 23-year-old who died in a mass shooting at the Waffle House in Tennessee in 2018, and Mike Bauman, who died by suicide after he purchased a gun in less than 15 minutes. Parents and families of all these victims have consented to the use of their voices. The messages will appear on the Shotline, a new online platform that the advocacy groups created where users can individually send the AI-generated audio directly to the offices of members of Congress. According to the Shotline website, more than 5,000 calls have already been submitted to members of Congress. We'll be right back after this break. Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's Journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. 
Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Now on to some news from the cold, cold north. Dozens of gang members operating out of a public housing development in Boston were charged yesterday with a long list of crimes. Acting U.S. Attorney Joshua Levy announced yesterday morning that, quote, nearly two dozen members and associates of the Heath Street Gang were arrested and several other individuals in state and federal custody have been charged in federal court with new offenses. The charges against the more than 40 members of the Heath Street Gang include racketeering conspiracy, drug offenses, firearms offenses, organized retail theft, attempted murder, and recruiting juveniles. Charges also include unemployment and COVID-19 fraud, totaling more than $900,000. One defendant allegedly applied for unemployment assistance in 10 states and Guam. The gang also is accused of submitting over 20 fraudulent employment letters for a company called Married to the Mop, which is an amazing name for a company, and using the pandemic funds to buy over 100 guns, which they apparently openly bragged about on social media. Oh, and Levy said the suspects produced music videos and posted them on YouTube to promote themselves and denigrate rival gangs. Court documents allege that the videos bragged about carrying out murders and other crimes. You know, guys, YouTube can be seen by everyone, not just the people you want to make feel bad. And speaking of law enforcement... Three sheriff's deputies have been arrested in South Carolina after officials say they made a series of hoax phone calls last week across four small towns reporting the location of dead bodies that, well, weren't really there. First Sergeant Justin Tyler Ricard, Sergeant Darian Rousseau, and Deputy Killian Laughlin, formerly of the Chesterfield County Sheriff's Office, that's right, they all lost their jobs are now facing charges of misconduct in office, criminal conspiracy, and aggravated breach of peace after making five phone calls reporting a dead body either to local convenience stores or police departments directly on February 4th. Naturally, the calls all prompted responses from local law enforcement and first responders. Each of the men has since been bonded out of the Chesterfield County detention, and I'm so curious to know why in the heck these guys made these calls. According to the Chesterfield County Detention website, the conspiracy charge is a felony and carries up to a maximum of five years imprisonment. 
Gentlemen, was it really worth it? What's the weirdest thing you can think of bringing on an airplane? Is it monkey heads? I knew it. It's totally monkey heads. An airline passenger flying from Paris was arrested last week at Boston's Logan International Airport after illegally importing four mummified monkeys from the Democratic Republic of Congo. The arrest was made last Thursday when a U.S. Customs and Border Patrol canine named Buddy, spelled with an E-Y, sniffed out the monkeys in the traveler's luggage. The remains were minimally processed remains of wild animals, a.k.a. bushmeat, which is illegal in the U.S., due to the obvious risk of disease. The unidentified suspect first told officials the bag only contained dried fish. They almost got away with it, as an x-ray didn't uncover any of the monkey skeletons, though they did identify the fish. So the suspect wasn't fully lying. Upon a physical inspection of bags, authorities uncovered the monkey remains wrapped in a blanket, inside a basket, in a box. So definitely in a I-know-I-shouldn't-bring-these-with-me type of location. Customs officials immediately contacted the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and were told to either destroy the bags and the monkeys or send them back to Paris, which would be a little rude. Now on to more news from the world of public transit. Two teenagers in the San Francisco Bay Area have died in the past two weeks in the name of one of the worst new social media trends. And as their poor moms grieve, they also want to raise awareness and get it stopped. Have you heard of BART surfing? Quick translation, BART stands for Bay Area Rapid Transit. It's basically the subway or metro system for the greater San Francisco Bay Area. So BART surfing is a new trend where folks mostly teenage boys, climb up on top of the top of trains in transit and film themselves riding them, like in an action movie. The thing is, movies have million-dollar budgets and entire safety crews for stunts. Oh, and they're never actually really on moving trains. The real stunts are incredibly dangerous. Social media accounts like at BART activities celebrate the behavior, reposting videos and comments usually going wild in a supportive way. So it's easy to see why attention-seeking teens would be egged on. Marina Barron's 19-year-old son, Daniel Barron, who was a very skilled climber, died on January 29th after climbing out of a train and falling onto the tracks. On Sunday of this week, a 15-year-old died only half a mile away on the same line after falling off the roof of another BART train. This boy's mother hasn't identified herself publicly, and she wants to at least for now keep him anonymous as well. The 15-year-old had an Instagram account that featured videos of him standing on top of San Francisco skyscrapers, riding on top of buses, doing stunts in tunnels, and riding on BART trains. His death on Sunday was at least the third time he had BART surfed. Both of these boys' mothers want to sound the alarm to the public, to let others know about the dangers of BART surfing, and are asking transit authorities to make it more difficult to access the roofs of the trains. Marina Barron shared that she herself had seen how easy it was to open the doors between trains and squeeze onto the roof. I'm joining the chorus of mothers here. Teenage boys, I know many of you think that you're invincible, but you're not. Don't do it. Social media glory fades, and it's not worth it. Bart, please fix your trains. Well, there you have it. As promised, today's show was quite an emotional roller coaster. Thank you for listening to This Day in Crime. Check us out on social media at This Day in Crime, and feel free to leave us a review on your podcast app.
Join Todd tomorrow for more news from the crime world and stay safe this weekend. This Day in Crime is a production of Tenderfoot TV in partnership with Odyssey, produced in association with Burning Mountain Productions. Sources for today's episode and full credits can be found in the show notes, and you can follow us on social media at This Day in Crime. We're back at it tomorrow. Thanks for listening.